Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Life Church in Perry, Georgia. Welcome, everybody. Hope everybody's having a great week. Hope everybody's doing good, healthy. Uh, we're going to get back into Romans. We started an expository teaching on the book of Romans uh, probably about six weeks ago. I know we took last week off, as I shared with you, a, a sermon entitled Motivated by Love and um, had a great outreach. We've, uh, we've really seen some growth going on here at Life Church. We're looking forward to our camp meeting. If you, uh, if you have not heard about our camp meeting, maybe you just stumbled across this podcast, I want to invite you to come to Life Church, 100 Todd Road in Perry, Georgia, June 5th through the 11th. We're having camp meeting every night at 7 o'clock, uh, beginning Sunday night through the following Saturday, and hopefully it goes longer than that. We've got a different minister. We've got worship teams coming in. We're believing God for a mighty move. We're believing God for healing, signs, and wonders. We're believing God for people to get saved. That's why we're doing this. We just want to see the kingdom of heaven grow. So again, if, uh, if you're new to, to this area, if you just happen to stumble across this podcast, come on out June 5th through June 11th, right here at Life Church, 100 Todd Road in Perry, Georgia. Now, let's get into our teaching on Romans chapter 3. As we continue on our journey through the book of Romans, we get into chapter 3. Gabe Martin, author Gabe Martin says, in the everydayness of life, we tend to forget the enormity of the universe. But in our forgetfulness, we also forget the one who created it, whose power and glory are awesome. Pretty much what Gabe is saying is, is we just we get we get so used to just seeing everything that we see, the glory of God. You, you look up into the stars and, and it becomes second nature. You look at the trees. You look at, you look at a nest and some baby birds and you take things for granted. You, 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 you go out in the ocean and you see dolphins swimming by and you just take things for granted. And I think we just get so caught up in the everydayness of life, as Gabe Martin says, that we forget the one who created all of these things. In November 20th, 1995, Time Magazine uh, did an article and gave a stunning display of some pictures uh, of the Eagle Nebula. These were pictures that were taken through the Hubble Space Telescope, uh, and they, they had these pictures in the Time Magazine. The, the nebula, the Eagle Nebula, is about 7,000 light years from Earth, which is more than 400 million times as far away as our sun is. So, so think about how, how amazing this is that first off, the Hubble telescope has, has gotten this far and that it's being able to send pictures back to us a distance of 400 million times farther than the earth is from the sun. And we see this, this amazing array of of stars, of planets, of gases, of all these things. And yet scientists so many times they see this stuff and they just, they think, well, you know, this is something new. But yet I've said this before, God spoke in the very beginning, whether you're 
day age or whether you're gap theory or whatever your time frame is I, I tend to believe that the Bible is day for day somewhere between six and eight thousand years old and when God spoke not only did he form the earth the sun the moon the stars uh, Mars Jupiter Saturn Uranus but it all that that his voice continues to go and go and new planets and new stars and new solar systems continue to be formed at the echo of the voice of God there's a really cool video obviously I can't show you here on podcast this shows a lot of these great pictures uh, but I would encourage you to check them out you can just type in uh, Eagle Nebula on YouTube and there's some phenomenal pictures so in this in this generality in this um, familiarness this the everyday life that we've gotten to Paul's talking about this in a similar way to the Jews to the Jews in the everydayness of their religion they got caught up in the activity of religion while, while the wonder the grace the beauty of a relationship with God it just got pushed aside it was it was more about rituals it was more about uh, the, these things that they tried to do these things they wanted to accomplish than it was about a personal relationship with God Judaism became a religion of law void of God's grace they thought of God as as only their God and not the God of the whole world Paul continues as we go into Romans 3 he continues the subject of, of the guilt of the Jews um, and as he's talking about how how the Jews as we looked at in Romans chapter 2 they were guilty of of doing one thing and not practicing it saying one thing but not practicing it so in the first eight verses of this chapter let's let's just jump in and look at what Paul's doing as he continues on this discourse verse number one of Romans chapter 3 what advantage then has the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision much in every way chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God for what if some did not believe will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect certainly not indeed let God be true and every man a liar as it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome them overcome when you are judged but if you if our but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God what shall we say is God unjust who inflicts wrath I speak as a man certainly not for then how will God judge the world for if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory why am I also still judged as a sinner and why not say let us do evil that good may come as we are slanderously reported as some affirm that way that we say their condemnation is just wow that's a lot to unpack so let's unpacking these first eight verses as we discussed over the last couple of weeks Paul's preceding statements that were found in Romans chapter 2 were a disastrous blow to the Jewish pride regarding their ceremonies his argument at first reading may appear to invalidate God's institution for Israel in the Old Testament concerning the commandments and circumcision 
in his statement in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 17 in particular, might be construed to imply that circumcision in itself created a disadvantage. Paul says in Romans 2.17, as we read before, Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God. So really, what Paul is saying is, is, is that they've made, this, they've made the law such a religion that they're not following the heart in which God created it. In verse number 1, Romans chapter 3, verse 1, there are two logical questions that the Apostle Paul poses. The first question, Romans 3 verse 1 is, what advantage then has the Jew? The matter of Jewish superiority is dealt with briefly in this chapter, but we'll look at it even a greater extent when we get to Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. Paul then shows that the Jew had an advantage but it also became their condemnation. There are people out there that are great athletes, but that can also, because of the money that they make, lead to their condemnation. There are people out there that, uh, that, that, that may be great preachers, great orators, and, and, and they, they, they draw big crowds, and that also can be to their condemnation. Because what happens is, is they, they, they put more stock in their own preaching, they put more stock in their own abilities than they do in God who gave them those abilities. So it leads to their condemnation. So the answer to the first question is found in verse 2. Remember the question is, what advantage then has a Jew? Paul says this, much and chiefly. Much in every way is there an advantage. In Paul's view, being a Jew means being appointed guardians of God's word. And it was, a, it was the chief advantage. That's, that was the, the whole promise. The, the commandments were given to the Jews. The Pentateuch, the Torah, the prophets, the Psalms. The, these were all given to the Hebrews. Why? Because the word of God was committed to the Jew first. Author James Edwards said, If the Torah was the pride of the Jews, the response to it was disappointing. The Torah was not a possession to be hoarded, but a gift which entailed a responsibility. As a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have been given a responsibility. Maybe I can speak clear. Maybe I am passionate. Maybe I love to read. Maybe God has blessed me in some areas where I have uh, the, the opportunity to go and talk to people. But if I put all of that in, and that becomes a prideful source of who I am, then it's a disadvantage. But if I understand that God gave me this gift for the benefit of giving it to others, then... There will be blessing that comes from the, the Jews were given the Torah for the responsibility to, to, to share it with others that they came in contact with. The, the, the responsibility to live it out so that they became a witness to others. John Calvin says he, he believed that the Jews were first the de depositories of the Torah and then they were called to be dispensers of it. But they failed. They were called to be the depositories of the Torah, then to be the dispensers, but they failed. 
These oracles contain promises yet to be fulfilled. Understand that the nation of Israel is set aside not cast away. God is not done yet with the children of Israel. Nowhere in the Bible, nowhere ever can you prove to me that the United States of America or that any other nation has taken the place of the children of Israel. No, they are just set aside as God begins to minister to the Gentile nation and begins to do signs and wonders. But he, he still is going to go back and we're going to see a great move in the, in the children of Israel and the, the Hebrew nation. The word logea occurs four times in the New Testament, and it's the word that is translated oracles. In every instance where we see this word logea, oracles, it means the words or utterance of God. Oracles, the words or utterances of God. At the time that Paul was writing these oracles, comprised they, they were comprised of the Old Testament. As Paul's writing this, Paul being a stu student of the Word, he studied underneath Gamaliel, Paul knew the Word. He knew the Torah. He knew the Pentateuch. He knew the Law. He knew the Prophets. It was all part of the Old Testament. The New Testament was being written by Paul and by the others. The second question that we see in Romans 3 verse 1 is, what is the profit then of circumcision? The second question is answered in Romans chapter 2, verse 28 through 29. Paul says, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision, circumcision rather, is that of the heart. In the spirit, not the letter who praises from men is not from men, but from God. Paul wrote, as we discussed in Romans chapter 2, verse uh, 28 and 29, two weeks ago, that they put so much stock in the outward circumcision that really what God intended was to be a circumcision of the heart, not of the body. It was, so, it was something that was to be, bring praise to God, but instead they, they took it and they made it something fleshly. And then Paul asks a third question in verse 3. But he answers it in verse number 4. Romans chapter 3, he says, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? And then he quickly answers in verse 4, Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Though the advantage of the Jew did not serve God's intended purpose, their unfaithfulness did not cancel God's faithfulness. Let me say that again. Though the advantage of the Jew did not serve as God had intended it to serve, their unfaithfulness did not cancel God's faithfulness. Just because we miss it, just because we sin, just because we're not faithful does not mean that God is not faithful, that His Word is not true, that He is not still not righteous. God is righteous regardless of how we live our lifestyle. See, the answer to the question is very simple. The faithfulness of God holds true even if men would be able to contend with Him in court. Let's just say we went into court with God. A guilty verdict would be returned against us, against mankind, 
declaring us to be liars. Why? Because God is true and all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. His truth is due to the fact that He is perfect. He is a perfect being. Even though all men are proved liars, God is still perfect. Paul says, as it is written. This is the Greek word grapho, and it occurs 66 times in the New Testament. The clearest meaning to this phrase, grapho, as it is written, means it has been written and it still stands written. Let me say that again. The, word, the phrase, as it is written, is the Greek word grapho, and what it means is it has been written and it still stands written. Romans chapter 3, verse 5 through 8. It says, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust to inflict wrath? I speak as a man, certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? As we are slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. <laughs> the righteousness of God, as used here, is not a reference of his righteousness that is given in justification to all who believe. But his righteousness that he's talking about, that Paul's talking about right here, is an attribute of righteousness, which includes God's faithfulness and God's truth. That's why he's been called, it has been called rather, the righteousness of God has been called the inherent equity of God. The inherent equity of God. In other words, it's the integrity, it's the virtue, it's the purity of life, it's the rightness, the correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. The righteousness of God is the inherent equity of God. It's the integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. That describes the righteousness of God. And that's why he desires us to live a righteous life. Let's put it even in simpler terms. Teachers often used to encourage their students to learn by telling them there are no dumb questions. But the Apostle Paul finally had to draw a line somewhere. The question Paul is addressing may be rephrased to read something like this. If the darkness of my sin makes the brightness of God's holiness a little brighter, then shouldn't I sin all the more? <laughs> That's ridiculous. The, the ridiculousness of such a question is self-evident. God's holiness cannot be brightened. It would be like trying to make completeness more complete. Trying to make perfection more perfect or, or wholeness more whole. It can't be done. The statement, let us do evil that good may come, that comes from a heart that is contrary to God. Paul says that their condemnation is thus deserved. A person with such a heart has made up his or her mind to do evil regardless. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 53, verses 1 through 4. Psalm 53, verses 1 through 4. says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. 
There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God. <laughs> Paul's saying this is, this is, this is foolishness. This is, this is idiotic. Listen, God is righteous. You can't make him more righteous. You can't make him more perfect. You can't make him more complete. We're the ones that have fell. And the psalmist says, anyone that thinks otherwise is a fool in their heart. Romans 3.9 says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Paul now addresses a question that he knew would surface either from the Jews or the Greeks. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I, I want to take you back a few weeks while I was telling you. This letter is to a church that is in Rome. It is made up of both Jew and Gentile believers. Paul began in chapter 1, addressing the whole church, and then in chapter 2, kind of turned toward just talking to the Jews that were in this church. It's, it's as if, you know, if I were talking to a church made up of both men and women, then at some point I turned directly to the men and begin to speak to them. That means the women didn't leave the room. They were hear, hearing everything that I was saying to the men. So the, 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 the Greeks, the Gentiles, where they were, they're sitting here and they're reading this letter. They're reading the same thing that everybody is. So there had to be a question that was coming forth because these are sensitive topics due to cultural differences. There are a lot of cultural differences between the Jews and the Greek. So Paul is trying throughout this entire epistle to neutralize any ethnic divisions. It is sin that keeps us from God, not our race. It's not whether you're black or white, Hispanic, Asian. It doesn't matter your race. It is sin that keeps us from God. Paul also points out that sinfulness is something we all have in common. Sin is real. It is continuously present because of our fallen nature and Satan's activity. The law can can diagnose our sinfulness and the moral illness it produces, but it has no power to cure it. I want to repeat that. The law can diagnose our sinfulness. Remember the law says, thou shall not steal, thou shall not commit adultery, thou shall bear, not bear fault willingness, uh, th thou shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, uh, thou shall honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, thou shall honor thy parents. Okay, so the law can diagnose our sinfulness. It can show you where we can miss it but it does not have the power to cure it. By telling you what not to do doesn't have the power to cure it. That is only through Jesus Christ. It makes, it makes us more miserable. The law makes us more miserable, showing us what is wrong, but not offering a solution. We want to escape the law and its clutches, but apart from the intervening grace of God, we lack the power to make the escape. 
In the final analysis, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. We are all sinners in need of, a, in need of salvation, in need of a Savior. However, if it was through the Jews that God sent the Messiah, through the Jewish race that He brought forth a Savior for the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike, then Paul goes on and says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 18, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Up to this point, the Apostle Paul has demonstrated by argument that all have sinned, both Jew and Gentile. Now he proves his point by using Scripture. Listen, I tell people all the time, don't get into arguments with people uh, about the Word. I've heard stuff. I've heard so many crazy things. I remember standing on the street one time and a guy telling me that God didn't exist and, and, and that we were, we were all going to be invaded by people from outer space and, and you know all this craziness. I didn't get into an argument with this guy. You can't win an argument with a fool, okay? So, so Paul's sitting there and he says, listen, we've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. Jews that are under the law, Jews that have physical circumcision, Gentiles that, that their hearts have been circumcised, Gentiles that have begun to hear the truth. Where then is the truth lie? Where does it come? And Paul begins to point them back to the Scripture, the Old Testament, the Word of God. Listen, all we can do is point people to the Word of God. I didn't write it. I, all I can do is study to show myself approved. All I can do is teach it. All I can do is put it out there on the platter. They've got to be the one to eat. They have to be the one to receive. Paul is laying it out for both Jew and Gentile through the Word of God. The Jews acknowledge that God is present in His revelation. And the Scripture is God's revelation. This, therefore, would have been the ultimate evidence to his readers. Scripture itself says there is no one righteous. So what we learn from this is that while we can reason with the most acute logic and demonstrate with the most persuasive arguments that which, that which actually proves the truth is the Scripture. It's the final word on any matter. Why? Because the Scripture is from God. Thy word is truth. Amen. Father, we thank You again for the opportunity to minister Your word. We thank You, Father, for Your Spirit that leads, guides, and directs. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for the precious blood that's been shed on our behalf. The blood that redeems. The blood that cleanses. The blood, Father, that is, that is the sign to You that we are born again.
Father, we thank you for all that you do in us, through us, and with us. I pray that you bless each and every one that's listened to this podcast. If there be one that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. And for those that are born again, Father, may we be just like those that Paul's writing this letter to. Father, may we open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive the truth of your word. Father, we thank you and we give you praise for these things. For we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you don't have a home church, we'd love for you to come visit us at Life Church, 100 Todd Road, Perry, Georgia. 